Welcome to The Shift Show with Adriana Bucci. Join me every week to learn all about narcissistic abuse recovery, healing from physical and emotional pain after the abuse, and everything else to do with toxic people and how they affect your physical, emotional, and mental health. And no, you are not the crazy one. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Let's get right to it. Welcome to episode number 37 of The Shift Show. This episode is an interview that I did with Diane Halfman, and it's such an interesting interview. She was actually an undercover cop for the San Diego Police Department, where she experienced a very unique perspective of life behind the scenes. She took her years of experience to pioneer the creation of her own company called Spa Life, which stands for Seek Power Always. And she is also the host of the Live Your Spa Life podcast. And as the reset specialist, Diane Halfman travels the country, speaking, consulting, conducting workshops dedicated to helping overwhelmed women, entrepreneurs, and corporate leader from a to move from a life of emergency to a life of emergence. And yeah, this episode is super mind-blowing. I was left speechless at a lot of the parts of this um, just because her story is so amazing. So I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, I will stop my rambling and let you listen to it. Here we go. Hi, Diane. Thanks so much for being here today. Hey, Adriana. Great to be here and thanks for having me. Let's start with a little intro on you if you want to give the audience a bit of an idea who you are and uh, what you do. My pleasure. My name is Diane Halfman, and I am a retired San Diego police officer. I worked uniform patrol, and I also worked undercover in prostitution where we were hunting a serial killer. And I utilized all of that experience about being able to uh, notice my circumstances, to trust my gut, to really utilize how you can stand in your power to now help uh, entrepreneurial women and corporate leaders to use those same skills so that they can be powerhouses in their own life. And my company is called Spa Life. And uh, the SPA in Spa Life stands for Seek Power Always, because I believe that power within us is what allows us to do our bigger work in the world. Amazing. I love that. And wow, what a backstory being an <laughs> undercover cop. That's, do you want to tell us some, a bit about that? Cause that is, um, wow. I don't think I've ever spoken to an <laughs> undercover officer before. That's so cool. Right. Well, and the beauty of that is most people did not pick me out in a crowd as being a cop, which allowed me to do right. a lot of, of good undercover work, uh, to be able to, it's interesting when you can kind of be in the background and not necessarily be seen and yeah. uh, to really be able to gather the intel that, that you need to have. Uh, and what was crazy is I never grew up wanting to be a cop. Like that wasn't my ambition. But when I went to college, my dad said, okay, are you going to be an attorney or a doctor? As if those were my only two choices oh. in the world. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I really don't want to get into medicine. Uh, however, I am interested in law. And so I thought I would be an attorney. And as I went through school, I realized, well, I don't really want to do that. And what am I going to do with this law degree? And some of the guys that were graduating at the same time I was said, hey, why don't you come take the test and uh, look at, at law enforcement? And so it kind of went on from there because they were looking for women. In fact, I was the only woman on my squad for, for many years. Wow. And when the serial killer you know, whole thing came up, they're like, well, we need some people to go undercover for that. And I got chosen um, to do some of that work. So it kind of fell into that and had a very middle-class 
you know, growing up background, went to 12 years of Catholic school, had no clue about what was going on in the street and, yeah. you know, kind of the underbelly of life. And so it was a rude awakening and a sharp learning curve. Uh, the detectives would completely laugh at me because I'd have to ask them questions about what certain things meant and why people would pay for certain things and what that even oh looked gosh. like. And so it was definitely like uh, a, a change in vocabulary. I mean, there was just so much that happened to kind of go into, into that role. Um, but what was great about that is that, you know, it's different when you're working uniform, you've got all these tools and a sense of, of protection and barrier because mm -hmm. you've got your police car, you've got, you know, your bulletproof vest, you've got your gun, you've got your radio, you've got backup, you've got all of these things around mm -hmm. you at your fingertips. When you work undercover, you have none of those things oh, wow. and you literally are almost naked on the street. So you wow. are very exposed. And so you really have to learn to trust your instincts, to notice what's happening around you, to make very quick snap decisions because your life literally can depend upon it. In fact, I had some stories where uh, I was actually on a street corner and a couple of pimps came rolling around the corner. It was like something right out of a movie oh my God. and they came out of the car. And because they recognized I wasn't one of their girls that they started to kind of get on either side of me. Like they were going to put me in their car. Oh my God. So luckily one of the undercover detectives uh, was, you know, on this really quickly and came around the corner and he pretended to be my pimp. And we went to this whole quick, you know, spontaneous acting where, you know, he kind of pulled me away. And so they let it go and they left, but it's those wow. kind of things where you can actually have to really think quickly and you don't want to blow them with a cover, right? Because that's the whole idea of, of the undercover is to not blow it. And so unless it's absolutely a, a bodily injury situation, uh, that, you know, you have to be in role and you have to be ready and you have to be able to go back and forth. And a lot of these behaviors, really are appropriate for people who are entrepreneurs. We have to be mm -hmm. able to make quick decisions. We need to not second guess ourselves. We need to be able to move forward and be courageous in the things that we're doing. Because if we don't, that second guessing, you know, then leads you to procrastination and hesitation. And then you are less confident as you move forward. Mm -hmm. So it's really has been, uh, I never thought I was going to utilize some of this in, in my work, but Everyone always asks me about the undercover stories. There's so many of them. And there's so many ways where uh, I saved, you know, my life and the lives wow. of people around me. Uh, and there's nothing like being shot at. Like that's a whole nother oh experience <laughs> of what's going on, you know? And it's just, when you look at the totality of that, you can really make some good decisions and you can really learn how to make better decisions, right? Because sometimes when you make quick decisions, you may feel like it's not always the best decision, right. but it's the best decision in that moment. And so you can true. always improve on those and make better decisions going forward. That is so true. Wow. Like that is so fascinating. And, you know, you would never think that you would take your experience from being an undercover police officer, like hunting down a serial killer and all that. And like, you know, undercover, like all that, and then use that to help entrepreneurs. So that's right, right. so well, amazing. There's also a little spin to that too, because, you know, when you work undercover, there's a lot of people and special clients that I work with where they are also undercover in their own life. Right. Like there are ways that they show up 
where they're visible, right? I look at mm -hmm. that you have like three different types of lies. You've got your public life where everybody knows everything about you type thing. You've got your private life that maybe your closest friends and your family, but then there's always this undercover life that you hope that no one finds out about you, mm -hmm. right? That there's that aspect that you're like, feel like you're going to be judged or that they're not your, your best and brightest moments. And mm -hmm. so a lot of times when I'm working with my clients, we discover what part of that undercover life that's happening where you feel like maybe you're a fraud or there's aspects of your life that you don't want people to look at. Mm -hmm. And so when you actually can kind of open that up for yourself, you can actually step and start merging those lives together so that you can be uh, congruent and in alignment integrity with who you are. That's, yeah, that's so true. It is so true that we always have that shadow side of ourselves or, you know, the undercover side of ourselves. I like that term so much, <laughs> the undercover. <laughs> that's amazing. It's the stuff that we sweep under the rug and, you know, yes. we don't want to look at it. We don't want other people to look at it. And, you know, we're like ashamed of it and we don't necessarily need to be, but we don't know that it's safe to not be ashamed of it. So until right. you start like unpacking it, you don't really know what exactly it is that you're even covering up. So that's, right. that's amazing. Well, and this is what's so important for the listeners as well, because everyone thinks that we're the only one that have these shadows lives or right. that we have these embarrassing things or these shameful things. And, you know, when we choose relationships that don't support us, or there's different people in our life that don't support us, you know, we kind of can attach every aspect to ourselves with that. But when we hear the, the journeys and stories of other people who've had these experiences, we can kind of start forgiving ourselves. We can kind of allow mm -hmm. ourselves to emerge through it and to realize that this is just part of your story. It's part of your experience. It's what you do with it. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I always like to share is people can, you know, everyone has a victim experience. There's just mm -hmm. a part where you feel dis disempowered, things aren't working. You can have that but you choose whether or not you're a victim or not and that you live from that place. And it's a really important distinction to make that, hey, this experience happened, but it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. That's, yes, that's so true. It's so important to, you know, we do have that victim story. And I think that it's, it's important to go through the victim phase because without that, you can't get to the realization that I don't need to live like a victim anymore. Um, so I think that's just super empowering that, you know, you're empowering people to do that as well. So that's amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, just something I'm super curious about with uh, that has nothing to do with anything, but did you guys catch the serial killer? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes and no. So uh, he was actually caught by another department because he killed all along the West Coast from oh, Washington all the way down to San Diego. Oh 20 God. of the cases were in San Diego itself. And by the time I was doing some of the work, we were actually looking at more of copycat killers, which is very wow. common with serial killers because of the notoriety and the attention that they start getting. So that's what right. we were focused on. However, the actual serial killer who um, killed like 70 women, I mean, it My was a God. very big case. And, um, it is very much insane. And, uh, but he was caught through prostitution. So wow. one of the things we always talk about is cause a lot of people go, well, that's a victimless crime. Why would you guys go undercover? Why are you arresting people? Because part of my job was to arrest as many men as possible a night. Mm -hmm. And one of the nights I actually arrested 34 men in a wow. night. And the whole idea is to identify people in a specific time and place, because then we could place them 
if there are um, activities where there's crime that happens in the area, we can actually place them there. And also you can get DNA as well as, as part of that. And so it was uh, within that, that he actually got caught through one of these prostitution undercover things wow. that we were able to get his DNA and we were able to connect him to uh, victims of his crime. And that is part of how he got caught. Wow. <laughs> that is so fascinating. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> I, just, don't I, I don't even know way. what to say. <laughs> yeah. You don't even look at it that way. Like so many people look at it as like, you know, that doesn't, uh, how does that affect anyone? And, and really we don't care who's sleeping with, with who, like it's right. Like they're still that. humans. Yeah. It's really, it's really about association. It's like what, uh, elements attract other elements because it's like where there's one, there tends to be, you know, other people involved. And that's where you kind of follow the the crime trail on that. And that's part of your mm -hmm. investigation. Of course. And like just the stigma of sex work in general, it's like people need to get off of their high horse about that, I think, because, you know, everyone's still human and to call it a victimless crime just because it's, you know, prostitutes that are being murdered, like that's so wrong. Right. Well, and that's part of why a lot of times serial killers will track them because people aren't necessarily because they're runaways or maybe yeah. they're being sex trafficked, uh, that they aren't necessarily reported missing. So they're kind of like this uh, underbelly of society that people don't necessarily uh, are looking for at the time mm -hmm. or they don't know where they are. And so a lot of things happen. Right. And, and a lot of people who are in prostitution as well, uh, it is a form of, of, of sex trafficking where, you know, they aren't necessarily choosing it. Um, you know, there are, there are a handful that do, but most of them have pimps that have forced them into situations yeah. uh, that, that they wouldn't be of their choosing. Right. And that's, it's just so sad. So, you know, kudos to you for like doing that undercover and finding these people who are like responsible for it and all that. Like that's, that's incredible. Yeah. We had amazing teams and it was just, yeah. it's rewarding when you know that you're actually making a difference and an impact in, in that area. So people yeah. can be more safe. That's amazing. That is so amazing. Wow. Just speechless. <laughs> That is it's so not fascinating. Your day. Not, not even a little bit. No, <laughs> I, I would joke with some of my friends, like, you know, in a 24 hour period, I'd go from, you know, mom to uniform police officer to prostitute. And sometimes <laughs> when you come back home, it's like, okay, who am I? <laughs> oh my gosh. What that's... outfit am I wearing right now? <laughs> right. That's quite the identity crisis there. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. So what made you end up leaving the police force and the undercover world to, you know, do your own entrepreneurial thing and help other entrepreneurs? Well, I call it a God thing because, you know, I think I would have uh, continued doing my work. I did it for 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I was in a training accident and I shattered my gun hand. Oh. And luckily, uh, in fact, I had, uh, I have really good, you know, flexibility now. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I had broke all the, the bones in my hand oh my and God. I literally like, fingers were back to the elbow, how to do reconstructive surgery type things. And even though I had a really great recovery, uh, they, when they did all the evaluation, they said that, um, I couldn't get in any more street fights. And if I ever, you know, broke my hand again, I had a 33% chance of paralysis, which is oh a liability God. that the city couldn't take. So mm. I went out on, on medical retirement. And I look at that as, as a God thing, because, mm -hmm. you know, there was just the next step of how I was going to be able to utilize um, my, my next step of support. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's like you breaking your hand kind of saved you in a way. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, because, you know, every year you're on the department, it's not a matter of if you get hurt, it's when, you know, right. it's just the degree of, of that injury. I mean, it's a very physical job. Yeah, I bet. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, yeah. kudos to you. Like that is, that is badass. Like that's amazing. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> and then, so how did you discover like that you wanted to start spa life? Well, you know, it's interesting because my last case was a pretty notorious um, child kidnapping murder case. Wow. And it was the first case that I actually knew the victim. Oh, uh, I was wow. friends with the mother. They lived, you know, fairly close to us. And I was the liaison between the department and, um, and the family. And this was a very, you know, it was a long year of just, you know, trials and stress. And, mm -hmm. you know, somebody had actually donated for um, the mother and myself and, and a couple other women to go to a place called Canyon Ranch in Tucson. Okay. And we went there and it was a first time I'd been to a spa resort place that was an all-inclusive where they just had you know, wonderful food and we were getting some deep sleep and we were getting some treatments and we were out hiking and there was just all of these things about it. About it. And we were noticing the more we took care of ourselves, this, these amazing conversations that we would have in the evening, mm -hmm. um, particularly the mother uh, was very um, wanting her daughter's life to have some meaning and how right. we could change certain laws and things that would really support. And so I really started looking at what this was like. And I had gone into a, a coaching program and, and my coach at the time had asked me if you could do anything in the world, you know, regardless of time and money, what would it be? And I just said, I would live the spa life. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. It just kind of rolled off my tongue. Mm -hmm. And I knew it wasn't just about getting a massage. It was about a lifestyle. It was about this whole having accomplishment, but having harmony, um, being able to, you know, I love the SPA in it about seeking power, always that mm -hmm. power within you, but having a, a really high level of self-care that when we take care of ourselves, a lot of times people think of it as being selfish, mm -hmm. but it's actually selfless because without our health, we have nothing. We can't have the energy to do our bigger work. We can't really show up in, in a powerful way. And so I really started looking at what were the different environments that we needed in our life to be organized, to be clutter-free, uh, to be able to not second guess ourselves, to stand in our power and start looking at all of these. And so when I mm -hmm. retired out from the department, I started focusing on people's physical space because I had created something. Uh, when I was on the department, I coined something called the clutter to drama ratio. The cool. more clutter that were in people's space, the more drama they had in their life and the more times police came to their home. Wow. And so when I got out, people knew that because I saw so much chaos every day in, in uniform patrol, as well as undercover, mm -hmm. that I was helping people organize their life when I was off duty so that I could be part of, of creating order. And it was a way of how I created some, some harmony and balance in my life to offset the chaos that, that I would see on a regular basis. And so it evolved from there to look at how is it that you are actually intentionally designing your life every single day? And how are you choosing 
What do you value? How are you living your life? How does it affect your business? And so my consulting and coaching built out of that, of how people were looking at, you know, because I'm, I'm a trained investigator, I could really look at what were the things that are not working in people's life? You know, what were the, the deeper questions they needed to ask, you know, really drawing out that their inner intuition and their knowing. Mm -hmm. So any areas that they were stuck or feeling disempowered, they could then move through that and reclaim the power that, that they had lost. Cause I will say you reset your power. Everyone comes in with their power. Life mm -hmm. can erode it away in different ways, but you can so always true. reset and come back to it. It is so true. And that's so powerful and such a great like metaphor because the metaphor itself is so true, like the clutter to drama ratio. <laughs> and yes. I've noticed that in my own life too. I've noticed like when my life was the most chaotic, like there, there was physical clutter <laughs> in right. uh, my living right. space. And now it's like, you know, that things have calmed down quite a bit. Like I actually... I think it is definitely a part of self-care, like prioritizing yourself, you prioritize your space. And then like, you know, that makes you better able to like do your inner work and right. everything kind of starts to fall into place. Right. Well, and there's actually some, some metaphors and some physiological and psychological connections um, mm -hmm. with clutter and it, in terms of, of protection. So a lot of times to the extreme, you would call that somebody who's a hoarder, but someone right. who actually has piles that are in around them, it's actually a physical border that, that subconsciously has them feel like they're protecting themselves from the world. Right. That makes a lot of and sense. And people who can, um, can tend to gain a lot of weight is also a form of protection. Mm -hmm. You know, they've either had some trauma in their life or things that they don't want to face. And so they're hiding within their own body. Mm -hmm. So when we look at the different barriers that we've created in our life, whether it's our physical body or our space, or even mentally, right, the blocks and things that we have, mm -hmm. when we start noticing what some of those things are, we can then start dissolving some of those and really show up as our true self. That's so true. That's yeah, that makes so much sense. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, like trauma is definitely responsible for a lot of the clutter, whether, whether it's mental clutter, physical clutter, all that kind of stuff, like there's usually a trauma component to it. And that reflects in our lives in, you know, the way we carry ourselves in general, and, you know, the way we communicate in the world. That is super fascinating. And yeah, I mean, going back to just your entire story, um, what I'm curious about is, has any narcissistic abuse ever, you know, come into play with uh, your career and how you've done your work or anything like that? Well, I would say yes, both professionally and personally. So, you know, professionally, I've got lots of calls, right? That's usually something around the domestic violence. You know, the, there's so much things that happen around that, that build up and you can right. see the cycles and things that happen in that. The surprising aspect for myself is while I was a police officer, that I was in a long-term relationship with a narcissist. Oh boy. And when you're in it, you know, of course you don't start out in thinking you're in, in, getting into a narcissistic of relationship, course. right? It's one of those where sign, when you look back, the signs are everywhere, mm -hmm. but when you're in it each day, there can be a part of you that erodes that you just don't yeah. see it on that daily basis. And a couple things had happened. Um, I'm just thinking of right now is uh, that he started commenting on like, are you going to wear that? 
Like it became like mm. if there was something a little too sexy and it was like, you know, I think he wanted me more like in turtlenecks and it was just like, you don't want to show any part of who you are. Yeah. And, you know, at the time I just looked at it like, oh, that's cute. He's a little jealous or, you know, he's, you know, maybe he just, he knows some things about fashion or like, I didn't really look at it mm -hmm. like it was controlling. Right. And then we started having some conversations about um, past relationships mm -hmm. and I didn't think that much about it. He was, you know, asking like, so uh, who have you dated before? You know, who have you slept with? And just all these kind of, kind of tricky kind of questions mm -hmm. that, you know, depending on how truly transparent someone is and how, how safe it feels to have some of those conversations. And I thought I was in a safe space to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, frankly, I hadn't been with that many people. So it was, mm -hmm. I thought, well, oh, it's not that big a deal, right? right. A conversation. So I had this conversation with him and I saw, it's almost like he became this other person as soon as I had had that conversation with him. And he like pushed me into, um, our bedroom and I like, I fell like into our closet and he oh put God. his hands around my neck. What? And even though he didn't choke me, there, there wasn't, um, you can see like, I, it was like this disconnect about like, mm -hmm. how is this possibly happening? And I remember like all of a sudden feeling like, what did I say? And then it became walking on eggshells about what conversations to have. And, wow. and I really started checking myself. And I think that the reason why I was, you know, I was all in, in the relationship because I had been divorced and I had vowed in my next relationship that I would make it work no matter what. Mm. And the part that we don't realize is that the, no matter what may not be in the best interest of ourselves. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, in moving forward with that, uh, it definitely didn't serve me. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, this sense of becoming less and less myself over time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ironically, that that case I was talking about, um, where my friend, uh, whose daughter had been kidnapped mm -hmm. and murdered, uh, I was very involved in that case, I, there mm -hmm. was uh, in charge of, of volunteers, and, and everybody was trying to search for her. And these were long days, and we were working hard, and all these things were happening. And I remember in the middle of this, um, this boyfriend had called me and just said, What time's dinner? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, not really a priority right now. Like, you know, I'm busy. You know that what's going on here. Yeah. And he was really flippant and he just said, um, they don't need you there. You just want to be famous and be on TV. You need to get home and make dinner right now. What? Yeah. And I remember it's like almost like this divine intervention where there was like the, the clouds, you know, parted and it was just, I was really quiet and I was really calm but I was also really confident that this, I was done forever in this. Okay. And I had just said, I go, I know you don't hear me right now. I said, I know we've gone back and forth in our relationship, but we are done. Like we are absolutely Amazing. done. And we were like, I just knew that this is what wasn't what I wanted for my life. I don't know if it was part of because of what was happening with the case, this, this feeling of life being so short. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to have this be an example for my daughters who were relatively young at the time that this was okay. And that right. this was the kind of relationship to have, nor did I want to be an example to other women. So this is where I was being undercover in my own life mm -hmm. that I didn't want people to see the choices I was making in a relationship that I was always kind of like, Oh, everything's great. Everything's fine. You know, type thing, mm -hmm. but knowing what it was like, you know, behind and, Part of it that was also kind of a, a not 
uh, a disservice and wasn't able to kind of discern is when I was working patrol, you know, my every day was I was going to, I was 911, right? So mm -hmm. I'm going to a murder, a rape, a, you know, aggravated assault, wow. you know, all this trauma that's happening. Yeah. And when I looked at what was happening there and the things that were happening in my life, there was a comparison of, well, it's really not that bad. Like right. it's fine. Right. right. And so there was a justification in some of that and a minimization too right. of what I was tolerating. So, you know, it's so important to be able to look at, you know, what are some of the signs? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? You know, when we start isolating ourselves and we start second guessing and, and you know, all these type of, of behaviors mm -hmm. that minimize ourselves and we're literally giving our power away, that's when you have to really start looking at, you know, what have I chosen and what am I in? And how can you start reversing some of those decisions and start regaining that power back? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And that's so empowering that like you right then and there, you were like, screw this. Like, this is not Done. happening anymore. Done. Like that is amazing. And, you know, it's not that simple for a lot of people and I'm sure it wasn't that simple for you. I'm sure it was a right. hard decision to come to. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, inner work and looking into your own situation and realizing that, you know, just because, you know, maybe one day you're on a murder scene and well, at least he didn't murder me. <laughs> you realized right. like, you know, yeah. hell no, like this is not what I want and I'm not tolerating this anymore. And you were able to take your power back and say like, you know, cook your own damn dinner. I have bigger <laughs> fish to fry right now. See you later, buddy. <laughs> so right. that's amazing. Well, and what's crazy about narcissists is that, you know, they will like have, they'll have periods of time where they're so loving yeah. and, and everything seems great. And you're like, oh, well, you know, we had a great summer vacation and mm -hmm. everything was so great. And so you're always trying to get back to that great part. Yes. Right? And it is that cycle of, of, you know, violence and, you know, the relationship. I mean, it's a, it's a domestic violence cycle, you know, regardless yes. of the level of, of physicality, you know, there's emotional levels exactly. to it as well. And so, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this was, this was part really sucked, but let, if we, as soon as we get back to this, everything's mm -hmm. going to be okay. Right. And so there's yeah. this, this trick that happens in your brain that allows people to stay in there longer than they should is because they're not recognizing that that time of, of goodness, um, it becomes smaller and smaller yeah. and we're hanging on to something that really isn't present anymore. It's so true. It is. I love how you explain that. It's, you know, like we trick ourselves and it's, it's really, we're tricking ourselves into going right. back to what was a facade at the beginning, because Definitely. that's the only way we would have been hooked in. Definitely. Yeah. Right. If the mask was off from day one, you know, the relationship <laughs> would have never happened. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Well, do you have any, the, like your whole entire story is just full of wisdom and fascinating. Like this is probably the most interesting podcast I've ever recorded. Um, like, wow, every level of it. <laughs> Do you have any um, final words of wisdom for the audience or, you know, just anyone in general who might be dealing with a narcissist or just wants to get back into their power and, you know, live their spa life? Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for, for asking and, and also for having me on the show. Of I course. so appreciate uh, being able to, to reach out and, and help whoever's listening. I also know that the right person 
is always out there in the audience that needed exactly. to hear this message that needed to shift the way that they are, are receiving things and to look at their life with, with where they're at. So, um, that's definitely for, for that person. And one of the things, um, that I've created is I've created a resource, um, a crisis resource. And a lot of people may not identify with the word crisis, mm -hmm. believing that they're in crisis. It may be that you're in uncertainty. Like there's a lot of people feeling uncertainty with what's happening in the world. Yeah. Uh, they're just feeling like things are just off track. Mm -hmm. And so I've created um, this resource that you can get. Um, it's just going at, with my name, which is dianehaffman.com forward slash crisis. So it makes it super easy. Um, and Diane's with one N and Halfman is H-A-L-F-M-A-N. Um, I know you have that. It'll be in the show notes, but if yeah. you just go to dianehaffman.com forward slash crisis, you can get this resource and you can see what type of crisis you might be in and mm -hmm. what is the first step that you can take and how is it that you can start getting back to reset to get back into your power. And the first step is that awareness and really understanding what that actually looks like. And so many times we want to look like so many steps down the road of like, I don't know how I'm going to get from where I am now to that space that mm -hmm. is maybe 10 steps down the road. So one of my favorite quotes is by Clement Watt and it's take the first step, no more, no less. And the next step will be revealed. So and this is so, so important because when you take that first step, you now have a different view. You now see things a little bit differently than just one step back. And so when you do that, then you can, you know, evaluate where you're at and then take that next step. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important to really look at it that this is, this is incremental work, right? This is where we're building upon ourselves and building that foundation that's strong enough for us to stand on so that we really can stand in our power. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. And yeah, we will definitely put the link in the description notes so people can access that very easily. Um, and that's, you know, thank you for making that available. Like that is such a valuable resource. And, you know, it's not necessarily a crisis crisis, like what people think a crisis is, but there's definitely emotional crises that exist, right? So that's, that's fast. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast this week. This has been such a fascinating, interesting, amazing episode. Um, just thank you so much for spreading your wisdom and sharing your stories from, you know, the police force, your experience with narcissistic abuse and sharing your resources with uh, the audience. Uh, my pleasure, Adriana, and thank you so much for what you're doing and, you know, even just sharing your own story and being able just to make this uh, a more open, not undercover like topic <laughs> is such mm -hmm. an important thing that people have a resource to really look at that they're not alone and there are ways to move beyond it. Thank you for sure. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely such an undercover taboo topic that... You know, one day I was finally like, hey, no, I'm going to grow the balls and talk about this because people need to hear about it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I appreciate yeah. it. Kudos to you. Thank you. Kudos to you for everything, <laughs> shattering your hand and everything. My gosh. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Uh, uh, we'll see you later then. Okay. All right. Bye, Bye. everyone. <laughs>